You're listening to Sound the Foghorn, the Minnesota Wild podcast made by fans for fans. For Kaprizov, back to Zuccarello, back to Kaprizov, he scores! Covering team news, prospect analysis, game-by-game breakdowns, advanced stats, and much more. Back to Kaprizov, he scores! And now, here are your hosts, Brett Marshall, Zeke Boyat, and Justin Baki. Hello, and welcome in to another episode of Sound the Foghorn. It's a great day today. Our beloved Prince is back from Russia. Kirill Kaprizov back in the state of Minnesota. Collective sigh of relief across the state of hockey um, as the team's leading scorer, franchise leader in pretty much every category by the time his career is done. Likely is back. Um, he was just spotted with Paul Allen, Matt Dumba, and Ryan Hartman at Canterbury. Um, so we have visual confirmation that Kirill Kaprizov is indeed back and just like Kirill Kaprizov, sound the foghorn back after a two-week hiatus. Thank you to everyone who checked out our Prospect Powering It episodes with the Soda Pod. It pretty much shattered every previous record that we had in terms of listeners, engagement, all that good stuff. So thank you for those of you that listened, that shared. Um, and of course, to our friends at the Soda Pod for jumping on and helping us um, promote and do that as well. High announcements out of the way, but we are back with you. Brett Marshall, Zeke Boyat, Justin Baki. Um, for a more laid-back episode of Sound the Foghorn, a couple news items to get into, but before we do, got to check in on the fellas. Haven't seen him in a couple weeks. Zeke, the hair is chopped. Um, no more flow. Well, there's still some flow. It, it's not like long bit. gone, but uh, how you doing otherwise? No, I'm uh, doing good. Like I said, just been a couple... Nice weeks. Been hanging outside. Like I said before the show, I was up in Duluth at the family's place up there, and I uh, we were kind of you know went out in there and sat and floated out in the water. And uh, you know I've you know I'm 20, so I'm technically underage, but I uh, pounded four white claws Ooh, in I like can. 30 minutes. <laughs> and being that I had never drank before, uh, well, you know I immediately got up in the boat, and I'm like, why do I feel woozy, foggy in the head? And, <laughs> Well, I know why now. So Welcome to alcohol. <laughs> did not feel good the rest of that day, but uh, that was my fault. I had good. It was a good time in the moment. Just so. wait till that becomes four shots in a half an hour. Oh, God. And then we'll talk. <laughs> <laughs> uh, great to hear you had a good weekend up in Duluth. Um, I was up north this past weekend as well. This unbelievable weather um, yeah, this past good. weekend up north. Um, couldn't really dry it up any better. Uh, mm-hmm. Justin. How are things going with you and uh, the Baki family? Good. Uh, just kind of wrapping up summer, I guess. Uh, got the son signed up for his second year of hockey, and the daughter signed up for dance. So that's kind of in the in the near future coming up. Uh, other than that, it's just Sunday night mites and working, and just waiting on hockey season, I guess. <laughs> Yeah, it seems like it just ended. We're kind of in that lull right now where not a whole lot is happening. Um, If you're reading between the tea leaves, it sounds like the Wild probably still have one to maybe a couple moves left depending on 
um, what happens. Still some bigger name free agents out there. Still some teams um, that are above the cap that you know maybe Bill Guerin could take advantage of. The Wild obviously still have some extra cap space from the Cam Talbot trade. Could still potentially clear more with trades of a Tyson Jost, Dmitry Kulikov, a Matt Dumba. So um, it's, it seems like there's maybe still one more move. We'll, we'll continue to kind of wait on that. Obviously, if something were to happen, we'll do our best, much like we did with the Talbot trade, to get on as soon as we can and break that down. Um, but aside from that, Kaprizov coming back, um, not a ton other news on the professional wild front. Um, do have some confirmation um, of some World Junior players, as I believe that tournament will be kicking off, is it this weekend? next it week is. let me check I, I believe it's the ninth yeah so about a, just under a week from just under a week from today um the world juniors that were postponed back in december will be uh will be made up um over in edmonton here in about a week and um as we always do now it seems uh plenty of prospects to watch in that tournament so we'll briefly flip it over to justin our resident uh prospect news updater um for just the kind of players that we'll be able to keep an eye on during the uh Technically, the 2022 World Juniors. Yeah, uh, so the dates are August 9th to August 20th. Uh, it sounds like it'll be televised on TSN and then the NHL Network and Fubo TV. So a couple ways you can watch it. I'm sure there's other ways you can find it online that are less than legal, but uh, those are the ones that that I saw listed. But in terms of wild players, it'll be da- uh, David Spacek. Uh, we saw... Servak Petrovsky be a possibility. I don't think he made the roster, but uh, like we were talking before the show, he is only 17, so I think it's a pretty good sign that he was even mentioned or you know kind of included in that group. Um, and then we have a couple defensemen for the U.S. team: uh, Brock Faber, Jack Pert, Peart, for- as I've been informed, Peart. it's said now. That's right, Peart. Yep. You got to get these pronunciations. It's, it's like right. um, Kaprasov into Kaprizov. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Can you believe that at one point we all said Kaprasov? <laughs> like that just like it just doesn't even sound right anymore. It's no, like no, it's Kaprizov. <laughs> and then for Team Canada, we got uh, the three the three defensemen: Carson Lambos, Ryan O'Rourke, Damon Hunt. And then for Team Sweden, we'll have Jesper Wallstrad, Jesper Wallstad, and Liam Ogren. Ogren. So, yes. eight so, players uh, in total. Yeah, and a pretty stacked cast. Um, had Russia been allowed to play, we likely would have seen Murat Husnadinov and Danila Yurov playing. And then, of course, um, as we touched on, I believe a couple weeks ago, Pavel Novak uh, likely would have been the mix for the Czechs, too, um, if not for his cancer diagnosis. So, pretty incredible. Um, probably a handful of these players will be appearing again um come the December tournament. Um, potentially Petrovsky back in that one. I don't know if. Is Russia banned from that one too? I I, I don't know. How uh, long I think they've... it's indefinite. Yeah, it's yeah. indefinite. Yeah. So, um, but it's going to be great to watch a lot of these players um, play again. You know, to have eight of your prospects represented, kind of you know from the top of the pool all the way down to the bottom of the pool, and to see what they can do on the international stage. Um, really looking forward to watching Jesper Wallstead as I think it's kind of you know. He, he was tearing, he was lighting the other uh, tournament on fire. I think he had like a 45 save shutout or something against Slovakia, um, if I recall correctly, from December and looked really good. And um, going to be excited to watch him. Um, the other bit of news that we have, we're, we're going to do our best to try to get you some white caps coverage as things come back on here. Um, that said, if you are 
a more resident Minnesota Whitecaps expert and you'd like to come on the show, give weekly updates, uh, please reach out to either three of us through DMs um, or reach out just to directly on Sound the Fock or either on Twitter or Instagram. Um, and let us know. We can try to get you hooked up uh, to be our resident Whitecap expert. We do like to bring you that coverage um, the best way that we can, but we'd like to have someone you know that's able to follow a little bit closer mm-hmm. and provide that expertise. Um, but that said, um, they will no longer be playing at Tree Rink. They are moving to the Richfield Ice Arena. Um, in Richfield, Minnesota, which is pretty nifty for me, about 10 minutes away from where I live, which is super cool. Um, so I'm going to have no excuse not to get over and watch some of those games this year. Um, but the Whitecaps moving, it sounds like it was kind of related to some marketing things, being able to customize that arena, establish kind of a more permanent locker room, um, as I'm sure they're playing a little bit more second fiddle to the Wild, being it was their practice facility, all that good stuff. So it sounds like a change, good change. Still seems like I think it seats a, a fair amount of people. I think, you know, seats all the way around the rink. Um, and a pretty mm-hmm. nice rank, too, from what I remember from my youth playing days there. So mm-hmm. um, a little bit of update on the Whitecaps. They've had a bunch of new signings this offseason as well. You can go check out um, at Whitecaps Hockey on Twitter um, to look at all of those as well. Uh, I think that's it for news. Did I miss anything, guys? No, I don't think so. No, no, off the top of my head. Perfect. Well, let's just keep rolling right along here. Um, this won't be a very Minnesota Wild focused podcast a little bit more of a fun episode for us is you know we're kind of in the lull not a whole lot to talk about we want to keep bringing you the listeners some content so we figured a a fun episode would be a situation where we were all um, became the commissioner of the nhl maybe got to sit in on a gm's meeting propose some rule changes um, that the league could implement Um, we've got a list here of about three or four rules that we'll run through discuss the ramifications of such rules why we like them um, and for the people, maybe why we don't like them, if we think they're realistic, could ever happen, things like that. Um, and then, of course, this is definitely one where we'd love to uh, have you chime in on Twitter. Let us know um, what rule changes you would make, if any we didn't touch on, things that you liked about them, all that good stuff. Um, so just a more fun conversation today, but something we've kind of had in our back pocket since last offseason, just never got around to it. Um, I've had a note on my iPhone with um, <laughs> some of these rule changes um, the date at the top says June 17th, 2021. So um, over a year we've had these in the bank. So, uh, Justin, I think we'll go to you first here um, with your rule change. Um, you are now commissioner of the NHL. You're sitting in front of the GMs, and you have a rule change to propose. All right. Uh, my first rule change, I'll kind of go with the one that maybe you guys don't have on your list. Um <laughs> I would revamp the NHL-CHL agreement. Agreement, God, I can't speak tonight. Um, it's kind of been a complaint among some fans, even some NHL teams to an extent. Um, the base fit is that players have to be either 20 years old or have to play four seasons in junior hockey before they can join an NHL team's minor league affiliate. So leagues like the QM- QMJHL, the OHL, in the WHL, if, if they ha- haven't met those requirements, they can't play for Iowa. They can only play for their junior team or their NHL team. Um, I think the reality is that some years there's players that would likely benefit from being able to play at the AHL level. Kinda, <clears throat> yeah, that's that's kind of the one of the names that we've talked about because you know during the pandemic he played at Iowa, didn't look out of place, went back to uh, the OHL and. I mean, he's just played well there too, but, you know, oftentimes a prospect will develop a, maybe a bad or lazy habit just because the game comes so easy to them at that level. Um, I don't want to abolish the agreement. I just think 
uh, the NHL relies so heavily on the CHL for development and drafting and stuff. And, and you don't want lose, don't want to lose those fan bases and those uh, developmental um, places. But uh, one idea I have is to give teams the option to pull maybe one player every three to four years. Uh, I think most players can benefit from playing in the CHL, but there's some guys that are too good and could benefit themselves from playing in the AHL instead. Uh, <laughs> Ryan O'Rourke. Yeah. Um, most of the time it's fine how it is, but this yep. would give teams a little more flexibility if they feel the guy's uh, ready to move up. Yeah, this is what I think if you discuss this type of topic that you'll see come up quite a bit. Um, it, it's a really odd rule, and I think you touched on kind of the key component. It's more from the CHL standpoint of, mm-hmm. you know, like you said, you know, it, they get this high-profile player because they have a draft just like the NHL where they're picking players, you know, first overall all the way down. I don't know how many rounds they, their drafts go, but they're bringing in these high-profile players. A lot of these rinks and teams are in smaller Canadian markets where – it might be, you know, a two, three-hour drive near NHL rink, but they've got their CHL teams that kind of are their team. Um, I would think of it almost more like college hockey. Like it's these, you know, maybe yeah. smaller city teams, your Mankatos, your Duluths, your St. Clouds, these types of markets where hockey's still a big deal. Um, and it's kind of, you know, th- those players, you know, play for a year um, or two, and, you know, and then the NH- and then we want to bring this guy to the AHL. It's like, well, no, you can't do that. We're keeping him for our ticket sales and whatever. But – to me, I think the the counter example is what I just gave. Like it, it happens in the NCAA too. Like these players can right. play for a year and they leave, and you just got to focus on recruiting and, in their case, drafting and re- restocking your your pipeline. Um, and I think the big you know argument against it, Justin, as you alluded to, is just some of these players like they're. I wouldn't say that they're they're too good for the CHL, but it's you know, at what point is it, are they really getting any better? Right? Like right. they kind of hit. You know, yeah, I'm, I'm dominating this league. You know, to get better, you need to play against better players, learn kind of your downfalls and where your weaknesses are. I think on top of that, too, having access to the NHL, AHL facilities, being able to work with the strength conditioning coaches, the player development coaches for longer than, you know, when you come into 20 years old, because very few of these players are making the jump um, at a young age. So I wouldn't be I don't know when when this contract agreement is up, but it's something I think they'll continue to discuss. And it'll be interesting to see where that goes um moving forward because as we saw I, I think last year gave us a good taste of you know like the rhino works and i'm sure there were other players um and other farm systems as well that got to play in some of these ahl games during the pandemic and did, you know nece- didn't necessarily look out of place yeah seth gyrus was another one in carolina that i was reading that that didn't look out of place and obviously he played well in the nhl level too so we're not the only team you know that that would possibly consider using a player uh moving mm-hmm. up yep for sure Zeke, anything to add there? Do you like the rule? I mean, yeah, no, I, I think I agree with uh, just bringing that one up. That's kind of seems like it's another one that's been talked about a lot recently, especially the last three or four years. Uh, I mean, like you mentioned, you obviously don't want to completely poach, you know, that those leagues, all the players, because they are their own separate businesses and all that. But I mean, you know, then at the same time, it's not like, because, you know, they might say, you know, if a, the big team like that had a back when Connor McDavid was in there or somebody, I mean, him coming into, some town way up in Northern Ontario was probably the big draw business wise. But then again, at the same time, I mean, like you guys said, it's a, it, you know, it's what, what's most important for the player's development is probably should what be the NHL considers more, most important. And I mean, like you said, I think, I think it's a good idea that you brought up the fact it doesn't have to be necessarily just a blanket thing where, you know, everybody is allowed to go or everybody is has to stay. You can have a middle ground for sure. Absolutely. 
Um, and as we're sitting here recording, an idea popped into my head. Um, we're going to make all of you the league GMs on Twitter. Um, so stay tuned. Probably on either Friday or Saturday, we'll post a thread of all of our rule changes, and you get to vote, approve, or deny um, in that Twitter thread. So keep an eye out for that. We'll have you vote. We'll see if any of these pass. Um, and then, you know, of course, leave your comments, what you like, don't like about the rules. So, Zeke, we'll go next We'll go next to you, um, part of this three-headed Mm-hmm. Uh, new commissioner committee that's been formed. Sound the Foghorn now runs the NHL. We're bringing another rule proposal to the table. What you got? So now this one, I mean, you, I think we all had a somewhat version of this, so you guys can obviously chime in too, but uh, I, my kind of first rule change idea was to make the uh, three-on-three instead of a five-minute three-on-three game shootout to a ten-minute overtime uh, three-on-three, keep the same, and then uh, if there's no winner, just have a tie. And, and I think just you mentioned this, but at that point too, I think you would just go, you know, winner gets two points, loser gets zero because it, you know, the NHL always brags about their parody, but I mean, to be completely honest, the whole loser point thing is almost forced parody in that there's, because when you think about it, there's not really any other league in the world where you're rewarded in a way for losing a game. Uh, I mean, I know it's not exactly like that, but it just seems a little bit forced. And then, and at that, and the other thing that's always mysterious is why people are so, afraid of ties when they were around for, you know, the first 80 years of the league existence. I mean, I think, I mean, I think at that point, if you go to 10 minute overtime too, I don't think your odds of having very many ties are as the same they were back in like 2003 or whatever, um, especially with the way the game is played now. So I just think uh, this prevents, you know, big games like with Vegas had three straight shootouts to end the year to determine their season, for example, it prevents those games from being, you know, the big important moments to be basically a skills competition. So, so to to recap, here, so it's kind of a, a, a two-folded change on on your end. So one is completely dropping the loser point. It's two if you win, doesn't matter if it's regulation overtime. Zero if you lose, um, and then a tie. Each team would get one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's got yep. it. Justin, your thoughts? I mean, this is <clears throat> one of my three-year-old changes that I come up with too. So, um. I'll kind of get my thoughts on on. I mean, I I agree with that overall. Uh, I do want to abolish the loser point and abolish the shootout as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, I feel like the shootout, yeah, like Zeke said, is more of a skills individual skills thing, not not like a team thing really. Um, I, I don't like games being decided on individual skill, which yeah, take it for what you will. Mm-hmm. Um, I, my idea was maybe like five minutes of four on four, then move to 10 minutes of three on three. Um, it'd still be exciting for the fans. And then, uh, I feel like with the loser point gone, it would up the intensity of teams wanting to win and and finish it off. And, uh, yeah, after that four on four and then three on three, it, it becomes a tie. Yeah. This is when I've definitely like gone back and forth on in my opinions. I Mm -hmm. think, top of the list for me is yeah get rid of the shootouts they were fun when they started they're fun in skills competitions but it, it to me it'd be like you know it's like baseball doing a home run derby or the nba doing a free throw contest like it's just yeah you might just have players that are better at breakaways or a goalie that's better on breakaway control it doesn't necessarily mean you were the better team in the game and how many games have we seen that have just been fun from puck drop to the final whistle then to have it decided by some stupid shootout game like it's just it's dumb, and, you know, it's great when it works in your favor, And but even then it's like, ah, well, you know. Like the one I think that comes to mind, I think the Wild had a game against the Maple Leafs maybe that might have gone to a shootout that was, like, fun yeah. from the whole game, and uh-huh. it got decided in a shootout. It's like, well, this kind of felt lame. 
Um, so I'm, I'm all for that. I think my maybe dissenting opinion with the rule would be I'm okay with the, with the loser point, but mm-hmm. modify the entire point system where you now get three points for winning regulation, two for overtime, and one for the overtime loss. Essentially, all the games now become a three-point game. You can still have the tie in there, and then it becomes one point each. Like, you essentially lost that extra point. Because mm-hmm. I think that really incentivizes – because I think at times you can see teams get tired, and the game's like, well, let's just go to overtime. You yeah. know, we'll, we'll get our point and move on. So I think it, in, in a way, incentivizes, like, yeah, you can still go to overtime, get one point, um, or you can try to win this now, and you basically get two extra points. Um, by winning the game and I think you'd really start to see separations of these teams that are getting things done in regulation while still rewarding the teams that are losing it over time but not necessarily you know you know also still giving a word to those teams that you know maybe just don't have as you know again the, the three on three can be a little bit more of a skills thing maybe if their systems aren't as good in three on three they can still squeak out that one point um, so I would think that'd be my one addendment to it um, and I think the other piece is just more of a semantics thing you know I would maybe mm-hmm. push like an eight minute overtime. 10 maybe get a little long that's a whole half a period um but at the same time too i think you'd be hard pressed i think for one of the teams not to score three on three after 10 minutes so uh, more of a semantics thing there eight to ten minutes and then i would move it to a three-point system but um so that'd be my only disagreement there but overall i I think we're all generally in in the same page just some some minor tweaks here and there and i i do like that denment uh i guess the biggest thing i want to get rid of is the shootout yeah um I, i'd be fine with changing the point system like that but uh first and foremost i think that shootout's got to go yep 100 yep agreed all right uh we'll move into one of my rules next um this is one i've talked with my dad on and off and to me it just makes too much sense um and it's where a face-off um is to start a period when the previous period ends during a power play. Um, Because to me, I I don't really understand why an attacking team is basically punished if, oh, you got a 20, you know, you got a power play with 20 seconds left in the period, you win the faceoff, you got a shot off, um, now the period ends, and now you got to go back to center ice, right? Um, And in my mind, the... My rule proposal is the face-off the next period goes to the closest dot um, where the puck ended the previous period. So, for example, if it was in the offensive zone near the left dot, next period would start face-off at the left dot. Say the defending team had cleared the puck right at the buzzer and got it down the ice, well, we're going to start down there in the defensive zone. They're going to have to win the face-off, and you know, like they would have in the end of the period, have to go the full 180 feet back into the offensive zone. Um, if it's a neutral zone, face-off goes neutral zone. If that's center ice, goes to center ice. Um, I think in, in both ways, it rewards a killing team if they were able to get the puck down. It rewards the attacking team if they were controlling the play at the end of the period. I just don't understand why we go back to center ice just because it's a new period. Um, so that would be my proposed rule change. It seems very simple. I don't think it would be too hard to, to implement. It makes sense. It rewards defense, rewards offense. Um, but the big thing is you're not punishing teams for basically taking, you know, getting a power play. Um, that was inside the last two minutes of a period. Yeah, no, I think that's a, I think that's a good idea. I mean, like you, uh, like you mentioned, it's basically just a free cop out for the other team who's you know penalized that moment to, uh, you know, basically get a free break at twenty minutes and then come back out and uh, you know, like you said, fresh to go with center ice, just kind of a face off uh, win like that. So you know, as you mentioned, not too much complicated there but it's uh you know i think uh, that, uh, that's uh you know i've heard that one a few times around too but i agree with you on that as well 
Justin? Uh, I guess I don't have too many extra thoughts on it. I mean, it'd make it kind of fun. Mm-hmm. Um, it, the center ice thing is just kind of like that. That's just the way we've always done it type thing. And uh, that might be a, a fun role to implement to kind of, you know, give teams incentive to, to push harder at the end of the period, whether on the kill or on the power play to keep it in whatever zone it, it, it um, ends up in. Absolutely. All right. Well, we'll go kind of snake. So I'll go with my second change and we'll work back to Zeke and then back to Justin. Um, so my next one, um, you know, I think the NHL salary cap is good. Um, to me, we're, we're too far into so many contracts to add something in about, you know, being able to restructure contracts. And I think that could just affect how teams sign players and, and just involve too much craziness. But I wanted to find a way where teams could still find like and be rewarded for good drafting, good development um, and work that into salary cap. It. And, and this rule I came up with, it, it people might like it, people might not. But I figured it'd be an interesting discussion point. Um, so my idea was a five to ten percent cap hit discount on players that your organization drafts, develops, and signs to NHL contracts. Um, so I think in my mind it would be after the ELC expires. So the ELC would be normal money, and then say you sign, you know, let's use Matt Bowley as an example. You sign him to a, you know, three point five million dollar bridge deal over the next two or three years. Well, your cap hit would then get like a, you know, let's just call it a 10% hit. So his real money is the same. The contract value for him is the same. But on your books, you would maybe get $350,000 of extra cap space because Matt Bowley is a player you signed um, and developed. And the reason I like this, a lot of times we see, you know, players that can price themselves out of their hometown team. I want to go to the bigger market. Um, But I think this could be, you know, good for the good in a couple ways. One, um, if, you know, say whatever that number is, I don't know how you would structure it. If it would be tiered based on where the contract is, how much money they're being paid, how much you get um, discounted. But um, the way I see it is it's a way for players who are drafted by a team to potentially um, maybe get a little more money on their contracts. Like, Hey, you know, you wanted that extra $500,000. Well, no, we're going to get this discount for signing you. We're comfortable um, paying you that in real money. Cause we know it's going to come off our books. Um, and then again, just rewarding teams for, um, for drafting well, you know, we've seen the wild that, you know, hasn't really matter where they've picked, they found good value. Um, I think it'd be cool to see, you know, a, some sort of monetary, you know, thing for, yeah, you held on to your players, you feel the competitive teams and now you're going to get rewarded for that one in the players you drafted, but two in the real money. Um, the areas where I could see it be confusing is, you know, at the deadline, you know, first round, second round picks can be huge trade assets. I think it involves some strategy that's like, all right, you know, how could this affect us? You know, because we have this little more value in these picks now. You know, if we draft a good player at this, you know, it could be $500,000 of savings somewhere down the line. So um, it, it could be very complicated. It would probably need some more ironing out into the specifics is what that discount looked like. Um, but the long story short would be you just get some sort of cap at discount um, on the post ELC contracts for players that you sign and develop. Yeah, that, that, and develop. That, that sounds interesting. Like, uh, the NBA does, it's a little bit different than what we're talking about, like the super max and max contracts, where if you draft a player, you can sign him to a super max. Yeah, and, the, and, and the NHL, I think kind of has it. I think the only nuance is I think you can give an extra year of term yeah. to a player. Mm-hmm. I think you can an eight year deal. If they're your player seven, if they're not, yeah. I think. Right. But yeah, that, so that's interesting that way. At, 
it would certainly make sense because you know if you, you draft draft well, you get rewarded for it. I mean, in in more ways than one, having a good player and then you know being able to you know sign them and have a little more cap space to do other things. But um, I think it would be, get kind of interesting is if you signed a player to that and got that uh, cap relief or whatever it was, and then you traded them. How would that work out for the team that traded for them? Would they lose that? It would just be normal. It would just be like a normal trader right now. They would just be the normal yeah. cap. Hit. Yep. And then gotcha. your team would now be back. You know, you'd shed their whole contract, but now you've lost your discount that you had on that player. Mm. That, that would make uh, Judd Brackett even more valuable than he is. Exactly. exactly. <laughs> I mean, you could have like a whole, uh, you know, kind of podcast episode if you wanted to talk about the salary cap and whether the. Yeah. system is right yeah. or whatnot oh, yeah. or everything that's you know that the NHL is behind on like you guys kind of mentioned the other leagues but because that's always the thing is that good teams as you mentioned about prospects you're almost punished for doing your job well mm-hmm. and having too many good players and that you're forced to trade you know you, you, I mean you're punished for doing your job well and you're punished for doing a good team in yeah, some because ways. more often than not it's not that the player wants out it's that you just can't afford well, yeah, the player so you have to yeah. well we'll have to take these you know these mm-hmm. two lesser players or these other draft picks and hope that we can find the same value in this player that we yeah. just can't pay. Right. You know, and I can argue, yeah. well, don't pay everyone else. Well, it's like at some point you got to pay your good players. You can't help. We have a huge influx of talent all at one time. Like look at Tampa, right? They ran into it yeah. with, you know, Braden point, Mikhail Sergachev, Anthony Sorelli, Eric Chernak. Um, there's a couple of Vasilevsky's in that mix. Like, yeah. and they've had to move players, you know, is that fair? Maybe, maybe not. They manipulated the cap or whatever. You can argue that way, but in my mind, I don't know if they necessarily should have been punished for drafting really, really freaking well. Yeah. Right. Yeah. right. And maybe a rule like this would allow them to keep a player like Plot on their roster. Mm-hmm. So, yep. Uh, yeah. I mean, you got high end players like Kucherov and, and Stamkos and Hedman that you've drafted to have that 5%, 10% incentive would, would make things a lot more interesting. And, and, you know, give these teams like Tampa to pay off, which. They've done well all around, but they would just continue to keep the players that they drafted and developed. Sure. So, interesting one. Love to hear people's thoughts on it. Um, one that just kind of came to me. Um, Zeke, we'll go to you next for your uh, your next change. Yeah, for uh, my next one, I just proposing essentially that uh, any hits to the head, you know, whether or not they're vicious or accidental or on purpose, should be an automatic 10-minute misconduct kind of in a way how it is in youth hockey uh and a lot of times that you know i mean there's other penalties for that but and i thought about you know potentially going the college route with this one of you know if there's any I think it's hits from behind and all that you're you're out of the game um you know i guess it just kind of went in the middle it feels like you know obviously everyone knows that you know the nhl has not really done enough when it you know it comes to protecting players you know brains in that way i mean you know the, the concussions and all that issues uh there's all that's always you know the amount of times you see guys getting nailed right in the face right in the head punched in the face you know there's no call and you know god only knows the effects that has uh you know later on in someone's life in their brain but i just think that there needs to be uh overall in this way it just helps be a little more kind of strict little more harsh punishment to you know hopefully discourage and get rid of you know unnecessary headshots that you know still happen way too much in the nhl 
Yeah, I mean, that sounds like a good idea. I'd add one caveat to it. I would make it like college hockey to where you can review the play yeah. to make sure that you got it right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it wasn't, you know, just hit him really high in the chest. Yeah. Or, you know, and oh, was yeah. actually his shoulder. Or, right. you know, his own stick or glove can hit him in the face, that kind of thing. Yeah, it would make players think more about hitting the right way, but it would also give them that uh, reviewable situation where if they still did hit right and it looked like they didn't, then they don't get punished for something that didn't happen. Yeah, yeah I think overall I'm totally in agreement. I think, you know, the one gray area I think we'd have some pushback um, is, you know, say you get, you know, a big player like, I'll just use the, the two biggest players I can think of at the moment, like a Jordan Greenway hits a Cole Caulfield, right? A full, you know, foot shorter, and you know, Greenway's just trying to lower a shoulder, and because Caulfield's shorter, it happens to catch him in the head. But, um, you know, does it does it benefit maybe a smaller player? Like, well, you're not my fault. Your elbow or shoulder is at the level of my head. But again, I think Justin, your to your point of players hitting the right way, right? Well, then maybe it's you know use more, you know, extend your arms, focus on the chest. Maybe use your hips, pinch mm-hmm. them off. You don't have to blow guys up. Um, and I think as as the game gets faster too, like we need to have players more in control because those hits can become much more violent um, when a player is being hit at high high speeds. And uh, I don't care if it's a player you know you hate more than anyone else. Um, just n- never good to see guys getting hit in the head and and being knocked out and getting carried out on stretchers, um, clean hits or not. Like there was multiple times this year where players were carried off on stretchers after what the NHL deemed well well was a clean hit or whatever w- within the rules. Um, so I think it'd be a good rule, and I think 10 minutes, yep, you know, you can still come back in the game, but you're going to sit down for 10 minutes. Would it be like a 10 and a 2, kind of like how it was in youth hockey for a while? Zeke? What? Oh, no, I think it was just, uh, you know, yeah, there was several penalties, but generally for the most part, if it was, uh, you know, anything in the head or, or, you know, kind of into the boards reporting, it was automatic 10, 2 and 10. Yeah, so it'd be, there'd be a 2 minute out. and then additional 10, so you'd sit for 12 yeah. minutes, essentially. Yeah, you're not yeah. kicked out, but you're out yep. of the game for yep. over half period no i think i think that's good and i think that's one i think the current nhl regime refuses to kind of acknowledge we've seen Mm -hmm. the the batman kind of denying the cte um we've seen the nfl you know um with contact sports and then refusing to believe oh it didn't come from hockey or whatever but um yeah i think that'd be good one just to protect players and making sure that the star players are you know continue to be seen on the ice and you know, maybe forcing these enforcers and these big hitters. You know, you can go out and you can do your job. You can hit, but make sure you're doing it clean and, and we're not headhunting. And um, I think j- I think that naturally too would probably just you know limit fighting in a way as well, which I don't necessarily think is a bad thing. Um, if players can't get cheap shot, there's no reason to fight guys. So um, I like that one. Uh, Justin, to you next. All right. So this is actually my last real change because <clears throat> Zeke's first real change was one my second. So. <laughs> Um, I would like to change the playoff format. I, I don't like how it is because you get these matchups that are in the first round that could be, you know, a conference final type matchup. And I, I don't like the in-division playing in-division, like just being that's what it is right now. Uh, I'd like to go back to the one one versus eight, two versus seven, three versus six, four versus five format. I mean, you could do like a one versus 16 and all the way back down like that but i i don't want to get rid of the conferences mm-hmm. um i like the rivalries that that spur from those conference uh matchups um so uh yeah those are kind of my couple of my ideas but i think the one versus eight and so on is what needs it needs to go back to because the way it is it's just yeah you get those good matchups but you get them early on instead of you know you still get good ones right. 
the finals, but maybe you, know, you like, get like this better. year. I think the Wild were the fifth best team in the league. The Blues were like seven, and then I think what was the other big one? Tampa and Toronto. I think were both like top ten teams. Yeah, and yeah. one of those teams is getting eliminated in the first round of the playoffs. Um, I absolutely love this rule, I, and I think it was discussed quite a bit, I think, um, with the Seattle expansion. I think there was some wondering if division realignment, if they'd you know revisit the postseason structure. Um, I think for me, I would make one very slight change to it. Um, the idea I've had, I love the one to eight seating, but I still think the division is important. So the way I would do it, um, the two division winners in each conference are one and two, and then you seed everyone else three to eight. Um so one would still get eight, two would still get seven, yeah. but the one and two are the division winners because you still, you still put some emphasis on being the best team in your division. It you know it secures home ice until that conference yeah. final for you. So I think it's fair in that sense. Otherwise, it's you know what's the point of divisions, right? At that point, right. and then oh, this is just yeah. the team you play three or four times instead of twice. Yeah. Um, but I think the other thing to add, you know, to why something like this I think makes more sense, um, is how the schedule has changed. It used to be you played like Eastern Conference team like every other year. Um, you played in division like four or five times. I believe that changed with last year's schedule. I believe now you play in your division, I think it's either three or four times. Um, and then I believe you play the other three divisions two times each, if I'm not mistaken. Because um, mm -hmm. I think that would be what? It would be the uh, 8, 16, 24 times 2. 48 of your 82 games are outside of the division. Um, and that would leave you with quick math what is that 24 yeah there yeah something like that yeah. like 32 games left in the division divide up among seven teams which is like four with a couple maybe five so i don't know what the math is i'd have to redo it in my head but you're not playing your division nearly as much as you used to maybe. so i think the emphasis on playing in the division the playoffs shouldn't be as high as it as it right. maybe once was mm -hmm. it was cool yeah, at I first mean, when they implemented it but i'm kind yeah. of over it now mm. yeah no i mean it's uh it's obviously, you know, some people go, well, you know, people complain about it affects your team, but I think it's just, you know, I mean, you almost make the regular season meaningless when there's, you know, no reward really for, I mean, I guess you could say Colorado got it, but that they would have beaten anybody because they were just that good. But, you know, they're, they're like you just, as you said, just, uh, it just feels like there should be some reward, no matter how big for, you know, being as good as you are. I mean, you know, reality, the wild with the two seed in the Western conference last year. And like Brett mentioned, they got to play like the fourth. So, uh, and yeah, I think by, that, that I think both formats, either, I think the wild would have played it was like Edmonton or LA I think or something. Dallas. If or, yeah. it would have been straight one through eight. And I think my format, I think it would have been LA. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Which he'd uh, take certainly take over St. Louis and other teams, like you said, with Toronto, who had to play Boston in that two three for like four years in a row. Yeah. But yeah, and that no, whole division, great... like those three teams, are constantly feels like top mm -hmm. ten teams, and they're facing yeah. off in the first round. John, yeah. If we would have done the playoffs, how you thought Brett were the division winners mm -hmm. um, face each other or get the top two seeds, it would have been Colorado, Calgary, as the one two. Yep. And then we would have gotten the three seed. Yep, and I think we'd have played LA, who was the six. Yeah, mm -hmm. uh, four. Five. Yep, it would have been LA. And then I think it would have been St. Louis and Edmonton, and then Colorado and Dallas. Calgary, Dallas. Calgary, Dallas, Colorado, and Nashville. Nashville. Yeah. So, so you'd still, still division get, teams, but yeah, still division teams, but. That's just the way it worked out. This right. happened to work out this year, but mm -hmm. um, 
So yeah, I I I like it. Um, I think the end of the year you want to see the best teams playing late into the season, and um, I I I think the one argument right now is a well, if you're the best team, beat them in the first round. It's like well, it's not always that simple. These teams know you better, and I think you should be rewarded. Like why play the regular season if it really doesn't matter, right. other than home ice, right? Um, yeah. Which you know, at some point for some of these teams, though I think the Wild have been worse on home ice in the playoffs than they have been on the road. Yeah, that's so true. That's true. Is it really an advantage? <laughs> you tell me. So, um, all right, uh, Zeke, we'll go back to you. We'll we'll go one more each here. I know, I know Just doesn't have one, and my other ones are all kind of minor, so I can choose one of my last mm-hmm. ones here. Yeah. Okay. Well, I kind of from the list I got, I kind of had a different couple of ones that I'm gonna, the different one that I'm going to talk about. But uh, for me personally, you know, I think we've all had everyone's had gripes about the challenge system and the review and, and how they do that, but and with various things like you know like kicking and and offsides and all that. But I really think that they should just get rid of the offside challenge in whole, in my opinion. Um, I know there are some plays that are obvious, like you know, for example, uh, with Marcus Salino being five feet offside, basically, with the Wild versus the Blues, but. It just seems insane. I mean, we saw the one with uh, Kale McCarr against the Oilers in the conference final, where you know that we, you know, nobody even knew the rule, and they spent ten minutes of the game time, you know, whereas we could be continue playing, uh, looking at whether a guy's skate, you know, it got a little better with it not having to be in the air. But I just, you know, maybe this is more overall great, but I just think that they've wasted so much time on offside reviews and. I, I, I mean, I, especially, I just, I mean, I feel like if that was the way it was for 50 years before that, you know, sometimes they missed calls. I mean, it seems like that just happens, but I, I don't know. I guess it might just be an overall more gripe, but, and it did get a little better this year, but I still think the fact that, you know, you waste every two games, you waste 10 minutes looking at whether a guy's foot was a millimeter off on the blue line or whatnot is just, I, I don't think it's really necessary. Uh, overall but yeah that's one i'm definitely conflicted on because i, oh, I think yeah. you know in a situation like felino's like okay he was five feet offside it was obvious but they didn't call it like that needs to come back like they missed that mm-hmm. right but at the same it, time and then like there's the other side of the coin which is like if it was so close where you couldn't tell in real time the ref couldn't tell the team with the puck couldn't tell a defending team couldn't tell without replay who would have known right Mm-hmm. Um, so what's the point in reviewing it for a millimeter, you know, in your situation? So it's, it's one I go back and forth on a lot, um, and adding odd ob- or, you know, subjectivity to it just makes it even more murky. Like, well, if it's obvious, mm-hmm. well then, you know, what, what becomes obvious, right? Yeah. Um, so I think you, you kind of either have to keep it the way it is or eliminate it altogether. Um, and I still don't know which way I lean on it. I think I'd mm-hmm. still have to give it some more thought. Um, yeah. I, the points you make are great and I agree. It's just like. I the way I think of it is if it happened to the wild or so obvious and they missed it I would want it to be able to be reviewed oh, but yeah you were yes yeah yes. so I mean that, that I guess that's kind of where I'm like I just I don't know Justin mm-hmm. where are you at I'm kind of in the middle it I can see where he comes from because sometimes it's like you mentioned it's so close it's like what why even like what there's a little bit of human error which yeah that's why the review is there but if it's so minuscule then why waste everyone's time? But in the mm-hmm. case, well, you know, it's, it, it's obvious and that should come back. So it's like maybe sometimes you're like, what is offsides too? But uh, I'm kind of in the middle too. But uh, yeah. so we get the 
to want to change it. Well, I mean, the other example, obviously, I just remember this is the uh, obviously the home over against Winnipeg last year with Kyle Connor being outside of the empty net. Obviously, like you said, Brett, you'll care more in certain situations. Yeah, but, you know, uh, that turns to be that, you know, ends up being a huge turning point in the game. The Wild come back, tie the game, win in overtime. Um, yeah. And that extra point, you know, I mean, you can argue there were other points that they gained, lost off the season, yeah. but they end up getting second in the conference, basically home ice advantage, all this stuff because of maybe that one call, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so there, there is yeah. that piece, but again. Yeah, it's, it's, it's just weights, different uh, it's pros and cons, essentially. Yep. yep. Um, I think that's, you know, you have a good proposals when you have to kind of weigh it, think about it. Um, mm-hmm. My last one, not quite as exciting or as in-depth as, as some of my other ideas, but it's very simple. I think this year we saw so much brutal officiating um, and very little accountability on the league's behalf um, and then on the officials' behalf outside of who got to ref late into the year and into the playoff Stanley Cup. Um, mm-hmm. If we can come out and publicly find players for actions on the ice, for penalties, um, if we can hold coaches accountable for what they say in post game. Um, if we can hold GMs accountable for saying things, tampering, um, I don't think the ref should be any different. Um, I don't think they should get special hidden treatment. Um, I've heard they are getting disciplined behind the scenes, but I think as fans, we deserve to see that. Um, you know, if, if they blatantly miss a call, um, you know, if, if there was a very clear penalty that they missed um, over and over again, you know, maybe it's a warning. So, hey, you missed this tripping call. That was really obvious. Like, this is textbook. You guys missed it, may have not have seen it. This is a warning. Next time, it's a fine. The league makes that public. So we can start holding our officials accountable because I think if these officials know, like, hey, I could have, you know, maybe I don't get a ref for three games. I get a three-game suspension from refing, or I have to forfeit, you know, however much of my salary for missing these calls. Um, because to me, it's like what's stopping them from continuing to make these calls if the discipline isn't handed out? And if the public gets to see it, it's like, hey, we know Steve Kazari sucks ass. Um, let's hold them accountable, right? And if we know which refs suck, we know which ones hold accountable. These guys have to start calling the, the game by the books. Um, and I think you could, you know, factor in the playoffs too. And you know, we let these, you know, they seemingly let calls slide, or you know, the refs like wanted to control games and all this stuff. So I just want to see more accountability for the officials, um, whether that's fines, suspensions, even like a public call out. Like, yeah, we acknowledge we missed this call. Um, here's what's ha- you know, these officials are going to have a video session and receive a warning where if it happens again, this will happen. Um, I don't think it's too much to ask. I think the transparency would be, I think it'd be good for everyone. I think the fans would appreciate it, teams would appreciate it, and I think the refs would be forced to, you know, be more objective um, when they're calling games. And, like, I think the the big one that comes to mind to me is, like, um, where I think this would really be helpful is when a team's already on a power play um, and oh. there's, like, a pretty, like, hey, that was probably a penalty, but, oh, you know, we can't put them on a five-on-three, right? Um, so like, like little stuff yeah. like that too, where I think it's like, well, you only didn't call that cause you didn't want to, or we, you know, we just called three straight penalties on the team. We can't call a four straight one, right? Like it's going to force mm-hmm. their hand to call the game as they're supposed to. Well, no, yeah, it's literally, uh, I mean, it's literally just asking the game to be called as the rules yeah, call do your job <laughs> and, and not do the makeup thing. You know, you got three penalties. Well, like, I mean, that was the whole, uh, Tim Peel thing where he's like, I got to get Nashville one. Yep. I think that might be the only time we've ever seen. Uh, official action. And it was because of the hot mic. Yeah, which yeah. could have happened to anybody, really. But yeah, no, it's uh, yeah, like, like I mean, I mentioned earlier, it's always frustrating to see them, you know, be standing there, you know, watching a guy get beaten into the ground, his head into the boards. And if it is called, it's not the guy staring right at him, it's the dude way down at the far right. blue line. It's like, that. why aren't you calling it? But yeah, no, I, 
I agree. I mean, I think I think most people could uh, would agree with that. Uh, just a little more transparency, the whole process. So. Yeah. First off, let me say. First off, let me say sorry. My allergies are hitting me really hard right now for some reason. <laughs> so I've probably <laughs> progressively gotten worse throughout this podcast. <laughs> but I, I would agree with this. It seems I know refing is a hard job, mm-hmm. but yeah. that is their job, and it's seemingly gotten worse. Hey, if I screw up in my job, I don't get like a free yeah. pass. Like if, right, yeah, if you're if not like up. most jobs, if you're not doing well, like you're gonna go on a performance plan, and if you keep sucking, you're gonna get fired. Yeah, uh, right. I don't know why we're not holding officials for the same that same standard. It's like any job, you you have a job to do, and if you right. don't do it right, there are consequences. Yeah, so like I can go to work and mess up someone's splint and be like, "Oh, sorry, your arm's all fucked up now." Yeah. <laughs> like, but anyways, um, yeah, I like that idea. It it would you know, help the fans realize that it is getting acknowledged and maybe make it a tier system where, you know, make it the, the punishment a little bit more each time. Kind of like how repeat offenders, like, get suspended. It's kind of up to a little bit more. You, you can max that out, but um, I think, uh, yeah, it'd be good for us to know that, yeah, they screwed up and they're, you know, paid for it. At a bare minimum, I just want an acknowledgement that, like, hey, right. we talked to this official, like, he blatantly blew this call. Yeah. Would it make me feel better in hindsight? Maybe a, li- a, li- a little. Maybe, like, would it fix the outcome of the game? Probably not. But, hey, it'd be nice to know, like, hey, we, we saw this call them out on it, and they were talked to about it. I'm like, oh, okay. Right. So you, we do know you're not just a dumbass. But... Yep. Yeah. <laughs> all right. So as mentioned, we will throw all these into a thread on Twitter. Um, ask for some of your feedback. I'm sure there are tons of other rules um, that we had in mind that we didn't get around to talking about on this show that you've maybe thought about. Um, feel free to tweet us at Sound the Foghorn, all one word on Twitter. Um, we'll retweet all of them, no matter what the rule is, how absurd um, for discussion purposes. So send those to us. Um, keep it appropriate, obviously. Um, we can discuss those. Vote on the polls. Um, like I said, those will probably come out either Friday evening or Saturday. What gives people some time to to listen to the show um, before we spoil it with with a thread on Twitter. So um, that'll do it for our rule changes. So I guess we'll move into kind of our last segment of the show here, as we always do, which is uh, final thoughts. Uh, Zeke, we'll go to you first. Anything uh, before we uh, sign off for the evening? Yeah, no, not much. Uh, obviously, like you said earlier, it's kind of in the uh... – Right, the kind of middle of the down part of the summer for hockey, at least. But you know, as you got the World Juniors. <laughs> with that coming up, as you mentioned, so it's a good week of hockey to watch if you can find a way. And then you know, even at that point, you know, training camp and all that's still about a month and a week or so away. So it's, uh, you know, as usual, it'll uh, be here before you know it. So uh, I'm sure to, you know, go outside and then, uh, you know enjoy that and just uh, enjoy the time off. And uh, you know, like I said, we'll. Uh, It'll be a, it's really not that long away till hockey starts now, just in about two months. So, I think two months, I think in two months, they'll be playing preseason games, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, so not too far. It's crazy. Yeah, I mean, we got a little bit of fun here. I mean, there shouldn't be any more worry. Caprice, I was back. I understood the emotions, but like I am on the count, I'm always optimistic. So, uh, I'm glad he's back and that he's safe and all is good. His visa um, is good through the end of the yep. contract now, so that won't be an I'm issue in the future. Yep. At least the I'm visa won't he's... be. The other stuff, yep. who knows, the political stuff, maybe, maybe not. Right, yeah. I- I'm glad he's at Canterbury betting right now instead of in Russia. Um, 
Also, yeah, it's exciting that the World Juniors are in six days. And then <clears throat> on the 10th, if you are at the Beauty League, uh, stop by and say hi to me because I'm probably going to be there with my family. So uh, a little bit of hockey left this summer before we have a little bit of lull before the preseason. I may have to show up to the Beauty League on the 10th. I got nothing going on next Wednesday. Yeah, so. show up. It's going to be um, me and a bunch of hockey kids <laughs> and their families. <laughs> Um, I can be a distraction. Yeah. Uh, no real final thoughts for me. Um, I'm hoping that we maybe see some action from Bill Guerin. Mm-hmm. Perhaps he was being nice to Russo and not breaking any news while he was on vacation. Um, <laughs> uh, I'm sure he's not worried about the beat writers are doing though when it comes to making moves, but, um, you know, still some bigger name freedance out there. I think as we see those, you know, final mm-hmm. few dominoes fall, um, as, as teams kind of figure out their cap situation looks like, um, if I could bet every, bit of money I have that the wild make some sort of other move, whether somewhat larger or minor, I still bet they make one more, um, yeah. before training camp. So that's how confident I am. It's just a matter of how big, um, it's, it's going to be a forward I would pr- assume as well. So wait and see what that looks like. Maybe they don't do anything and they run with Beckman and Rossi is kind of, you know, you're going to play right out of the gate, but I just, I don't know. My gut says that won't be the case, but, um, yeah, so that'll do it for the show. Um, a lot shorter than the two hours and 45 minutes that we went uh, on the last one. But again, thanks to all who tuned into that one. Um, we had a lot of fun with it, hoping to make that um, an annual thing with the guys at the Soda Pod. So uh, with that said, Justin, why don't you remind everyone where they can follow you and all of your work? Uh, you can find me at DE's 2004. You can find me at C with the Caprisov Countdown. And you can find me at MNW Prospects with MNW Young Guns and Make sure to follow us. We'll be covering the World Juniors as the best we can. All right. Zeke? Yeah, as usual, you can uh, find me on Twitter uh, at Zeke Boyat with the capital Z and the capital B. And you can find me on Twitter at B underscore Marsh 92. Be sure you are following the podcast account both on Twitter and Instagram at Sound the Foghorn. All one word. Um, no set date for our next show yet, so keep it tuned to our social feeds for when that might come. Um, if you have an idea for a show you'd like us to talk about, maybe it's just a mailbag episode, let us know. We'll, we'll happily take your ideas. Um, some other plans, maybe a little bit later on in the summer that we may dive into, um, but won't get into anything official on that front yet. Um, so until the next episode, this has been another edition of Sound the Fun.